church and be able to turn back to the same place you left off last week. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I am enjoying the fact that I know where we're going. Uh, I know where we've been, and I know where we're going. Uh, one of the blessings in that is that uh, you can look ahead in Scripture. You can be reading just like this morning, Brother Rick and Brother Charles were talking about their anticipation in going into the book of Micah, uh, in their anticipation, they began to read and look through the book of Micah and look at some of the chapters in the book of Micah. And I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to look ahead, uh, to search the scriptures. I encourage you to do that uh, so that you hold me accountable for what I give you from scripture. Uh, don't just take my word for it. Know the Word of God and study the Word of God. And I'm glad that we're back in the book of Romans. <clears throat> the difference being <clears throat> is that you get to see my face and not Jeffrey's. We're in the book of Romans chapter number 9. The book of Romans chapter number 9. We'll read the first five verses and then we'll pray and get into what uh, the Lord has for us this evening from scripture <clears throat> chapter number nine and verse number one the Bible said I say the truth in Christ I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continue continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kindred according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God, and the promises. Verse number five, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that we have the opportunity and the privilege to be back in your word. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to be back in the book of Romans. Lord, we thank you for what we have gained from the book of Romans thus far. Lord, you have enabled us to be in this book for quite a while and to look forward to be in this book for quite a while longer. And Lord, you're giving us truths and we're able to see those truths not because we pick them apart, but we're seeing those truths because we see the full picture. Lord, I ask you tonight that you would help us as we began to look at this ninth chapter. I pray that you would open our hearts Help us to be receptive to what you have for us. 
And Lord, for this, we'll thank you and give you honor and glory and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Considering Romans chapter number 9, there are three different things that can be done with it. There are two things that are predominantly done with it. Number one is there are those that because of the controversial things that we find in the book of Romans or the seemingly controversial things that we find in Romans chapter number 9, there are those that lay chapter 9 completely aside and don't deal with it at all. There are those, and I'm not going to call any names, but there are those that have written whole commentaries on the book of Romans. And you find nowhere in their commentaries that they dealt any in chapter number 9. But there are those on the other side of the spectrum that instead of not dealing with chapter number 9, they take chapter number 9 out of where it is and they set it over somewhere by itself. Both are wrong. What we need to do with the book of Romans chapter number 9 is take it as it is and see it for what it is, where it is. Look at it for what Paul said, where Paul said it, and why Paul said it. There is a reason why God inspired the Apostle Paul to place this where he placed it. It's interesting, and we'll get into this even more in just a little bit, but it's interesting that uh, Paul places chapter number 9 and the majority of chapter number 9. And by the way, what Paul deals with in chapter number 9 is what scares everybody, and that is the sovereignty of God. His, his soul dealing in chapter number 9 has to do with God's sovereignty. God being God and God doing whatever God wants to do. Amen. God is sovereign. Amen. And He can do as He wills. Yes. And not only, not only can He do as He wills, when I make that statement, God can do as He wills, it implies that I'm giving Him permission to do what He wills. But God does what He wills, right. whether we want it or whether we don't want it. Amen. <clears throat> I asked my wife a question earlier this week, and I'm going to ask you the same question I asked my wife. And I want you to think about this, and you'll understand more when we get into this. And, and, and understanding... The sovereignty of God that Paul is dealing with in Romans chapter number 9, he kind of bookend, he, put, he placed on both ends of it a prayer with a burden for the lost. It's interesting with what everybody 
looks at chapter number 9 and everybody construes chapter number 9 to mean and, and everybody seemingly looks at the controversy of chapter number 9. It's, it's interesting that Paul bookends both of those. Both ends of it is dealing with a burden for the lost. And Paul does mention and deal with some particular things and we're going to get into that as we go down through here. But I want to ask you this question. Why did God choose Abraham? Not only why did God choose Abraham, why did God choose Isaac? Why did God choose Jacob? And as far as that goes, why did God choose you and me? God did that because he's God. And he can do as he wills. He can do as he pleases. He does not have to have my permission to do anything. Nor does he have to have your permission to do anything. And if you and I do not have, and this is what we need to get a hold of as we go into chapter number nine, and I, I, I don't want to I don't want to shroud chapter nine in a mystery because it's not. Paul is dealing with the sovereignty of God. And in dealing with the sovereignty of God, if you and I, as the children of God, do not have the right perspective about the sovereignty of God, we will not have the right perspective of the entire doctrine of salvation. If we don't see God as sovereign, we will not understand the entire perspective of salvation. We will, and I think that's where many people get it wrong, is they misconstrue the sovereignty of God. And when they misconstrue the sovereignty of God, they get some section or some portion of the doctrine of salvation wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that everyone that does not understand the sovereignty of God is not saved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you do not understand or at least have an attempt to understand the sovereignty of God, I'm not saying that you're able to explain the sovereignty of God, because I'll be honest with you, as we go through the book of Romans chapter number 9, as we go through chapter number 9, there may be more questions at the end of it than you had at the beginning. But we don't have to be able to explain everything. We just need to believe it all. You, don't, you and I have got to understand that God is greater than we are. God is mightier than we are. God is, has a vaster knowledge than we have. And because of that, you and I are not going to understand God. We, can I just be completely honest with you? I think we get the idea, and this is a wrong idea, but I think we get the idea that when we die and go to heaven, we're going to understand everything. 
Never will you completely understand God. Because if you ever completely understood God, you would sit alongside of Him. Not even in eternity will we completely understand God. Not even the angels and their created beings like we are. What did the Bible tell us? There are even things that the angels have desire to look into. And you and I will not ever completely understand God. So you don't have to be able to explain everything. But the one thing you have to do as a child of God is you have to believe what God said. Take God at His Word. <clears throat> I, I, I want to lay all of this out so that we understand. I, I've, I've told you that Paul mentions here in chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, he has a great burden for the lost. If you look over at chapter number 10, and by the way, chapters were placed in the Word of God by man, and they didn't... They didn't really do a bad job at it. They did pretty good. I, I wouldn't have wanted to attempt to try and put chapters and verses in the Bible. I wouldn't. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know that I would have wanted to try to read all of the Bible without chapters and verses. I like what they've done. I like where they place things. But understand that Paul in, cha in chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, Paul has a great burden for the lost. And we're going to look at that in depth in just a moment. But in chapter 10, in verse number 1, he says this. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Both of these bookends, both of these prayers, both of these desires of the Apostle Paul encapsulate, if you will, the sovereignty of God. And basically the sovereignty of God in the salvation of man. Paul bookends both of these as he's looking at it. In fact, if you were to look at the next three chapters, if you were to look at Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 they lay out some particular things and we're not going to get into all of that. But understand that these next couple of chapters, God lays out specific things. And as we look at chapter number 9, we're going to look into and we're going to dig into throughout these next couple of weeks in depth the sovereignty of God. I hope that, I hope that word doesn't bother us. And I, I don't, I, I've been around most of you long enough to know that I don't think these words bother you. In fact, you're like me. These words excite me. That, that, that I am not in charge of my salvation. That I didn't do what needed to be done for my salvation. That Christ did it all for me and I can rest in that. I am excited about that. So the sovereignty of God does not in any way cause me to fear. God explains His work to the Jews as it is seen as an individual 
and spiritual uh, aspect in his work through the Jews. Paul's, in these next three chapters, Paul's going to be looking at uh, God's work to the Jews and God's work through the Jews. And he's going to deal with that. And rightfully so, Paul prays for his kindred, which are the Jews. As we start this section of the book of Romans, I want to say that we're not going to do, as I've already said, like others, we're not going to lay it aside. We're, we're not going to forego it, but we're going to look at it for what it is, where it is, how it is, and try to gain a greater understanding of God in His sovereignty. Uh, some down through these hundred years or so, and, and in fact, may, just to give you a bit of history, about a hundred years ago, a hundred years or so ago, they didn't do like I've mentioned. They, they didn't lay it aside and they didn't try to pull it out and place it over here. They did what we're doing. A hundred or so years ago, they looked at the Bible for what the Bible said and followed through verse by verse and looked at things systematically and looked at what God had to say and understood that you don't have to understand nor explain everything. In light of chapter number 9, if you've read through chapter number 9 or you know anything about chapter number 9, there may be questions that may arise. So I want to answer a couple of questions as we open this chapter. I want to mention this, that I am, I mean, some people may say, what do you believe? I'm going to tell you what I believe tonight. I am an electionist. What does that mean? That means that that is someone that believes that God elects His people. And elects to save a people. And, and we'll get into more of that as we go down through this passage of Scripture. But I want to say this, and I want to say this in light of... <laughs> uh, let me just be completely honest with you. I don't have time to worry about what others are saying or what they're not saying. But it has gotten back to me that others have said. So I'm going to take just a moment right here and I'm going to tell you I'm not a Calvinist. I may be Calvinistic in some things I believe. But I'm Calvinistic in the things I believe because that's what the Bible teaches. Absolutely. I am not a Calvinist. Yeah. Nor am I an Arminianist. You say, what are you talking about? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not to the point to where I believe that... Uh, okay, I'm, I, I'm not to this point to where I believe everything that's going to happen is going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, like the like the gentleman that <laughs> that fell down the steps, and when he got to the bottom, he said, "I'm glad that's over with," uh, because it was going to have to happen. Because it was going to have to happen. I, I'm, I I don't believe that. I believe I believe we have choice. 
I believe we have choice. But I do not believe so much that we have free will. And I'll explain more of that as we go through. I want us to understand that God did not save me because I chose to be saved. God saved me because He presented His grace to me in such a way that I did not want to resist His grace. So understand, I am an electionist. I am not a Calvinist. I'm not Armenian. I am a predestinationist, if that's a word. I am a foreknowledgeist. I am a sanctificationist. And I know these aren't words, but just bear with me. I at the same time am a whosoever willest. The reason I am those things is because they are doctrines in the Word of God. I think that you and I need to have an understanding that we must, and, and we've got to get a hold of this, we must believe all the doctrines of the Word of God. If I did not believe just because I did not understand, there would be a lot of things I would not believe. I don't understand. I know what I've been taught, but I don't understand how an egg that is fertilized can grow inside of a woman and then nine months later, there can be a person come from that. I know it's a fact because I've seen it happen. But I don't understand it all. So if I did not believe something because I did not understand it, I would have to say all of these little ones don't exist. We don't have to understand in order to believe. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at. That's where I'm trying to get us to understand is that we must believe what the Bible says when the Bible says it. And if those words that I mentioned scare you, let me back up. Those words that I mentioned should not scare you because they're in the Word of God. Don't let them scare you because they're in the Word of God. And Paul is dealing with, as he goes through chapter number 9, he's dealing with the sovereignty of God. And in his dealing with the sovereignty of God, you and I must believe, whether we understand or not, we must believe, even though we can't explain those things, we still must believe. Therefore, let me just put out here before we go through Romans chapter number 9. I believe what God said in chapter number 9. And we're going to dig into that as we go forward. I want to I give you these couple of other things real quickly by way of introduction. I want you to understand that I believe in monergism. And I do not believe in synergism. You say, what are those? Monergism is that there is one way of salvation. 
And not just one way, but there is one in control of salvation. Synergism is more of two things syncing up to make something happen. <clears throat> Synergism would be like uh, Brother Charles working with the gears and a transmission and those gears work together to make that vehicle go. There's not, there's not just one, but there's several gears and they all work together to make something happen. A synergist person or a synergistic person would be a person that believes that they did something in order for them to have salvation. That is what I'm, that, I've, I've come this full circle to get back to what I was saying. Salvation is a sovereign act of God. And you and I did not do anything to merit, to work, or to earn, or to keep right. our salvation. Understand this. If you, and, and Jeffrey and I were talking about this even this afternoon. If you're going to be consistent. If you're going to be consistent and you believe that you brought something to salvation that produced salvation. Then you must also believe that you have to do something to maintain that salvation. Flip it over. If you're doing something to maintain, and, and let me back off the word of salvation, let me go where we know we've been. If we do something in order to gain or lose acceptance with God, then we had to do something with our salvation. You and I understand from the book of Ephesians that we rest in Christ. And we rest in Christ alone. We understand from the book of Ephesians that you and I are accepted before God through Christ alone. So there is nothing. That is the reason that I said I am a monitor 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 let me get that word out my, as my daddy would say uh, my my tongue got in the way of my eye tooth and I couldn't see what I see and there it was what I'm trying to say is this you cannot believe that you brought anything to salvation you, you did not bring faith to salvation. You did not bring repentance to salvation. You did not bring anything to salvation. The only thing you provided was a lost sinner in need of salvation. Christ did the searching. Christ did the dying. Christ did the saving. Christ produced the faith. Christ brought the grace. You and I brought nothing. If we believe that we played any 
and, and, and capitalize that word any part in our salvation at all, then we have a definite problem with our salvation. And if we brought anything, any part in our salvation, then we must have some part in maintaining that salvation. And Paul has already told us that's not so. In fact, what have we been looking at in the book of Romans chapter number 8? Nothing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He went through a whole list. We, 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 we went through that for three solid weeks. About the who's and the what's and the how's and the why's. That nothing could separate us from the love of God. In this book, as I've already said, Paul bookends the sovereignty of God. And I know this has been a long introduction, but we're going to get into what Paul said in his burden for the lost. But I want you to understand that that burden for the lost is a bookend the same as chapter 10 and verse number 1 is a bookend to the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God that we are going to see in chapter number 9 is, has to do with the salvation of men. So as we look at this, as we understand this, the same sovereignty of God that deals with the salvation of man is the same sovereignty of God that produces in us that burden for the lost. Let me ask you this question, and I know we're, we're taking it kind of slow, and I'm not like ranting and raving like I normally do, but I want us to understand these things as we go through, the book, through chapter number 9. But as we look at this chapter, and as we understand this, understand that before Paul was on the road to Damascus. Now remember, on his road to Damascus, what was he doing? He had gotten letters from the Sanhedrin in order to go close down churches to put people to death and place them in prison for following the Lord Jesus Christ. But on his way to Damascus, not looking for anything except trying to find Christians so he could put them to death. The sovereignty of God stops him. So much so it knocks him off his horse and he said, Saul, Saul, why kick us against the pricks? And when he saw God, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And from that day forward, there was a complete and literal change in the Apostle Paul. That was brought about by the sovereignty of God. Before that, you do not find the Apostle Paul saying, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continued sorrow in the heart 
For I could wish myself to be accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kindred. You don't find that burden until after salvation. There is no one that has a genuine burden for the lost that didn't get saved themselves first. That they did not have an experience with God. And, and, and I'm not trying to use that word and use it lightly. It's not an experience. It is something that took place in your life. And yes, it is an experience in some form or fashion. But uh, you and I who are saved by the grace of God understand salvation. And because we understand salvation, therefore we have a burden. That is the reason that Apostle Paul, when he deals with this, he is saying that this burden that he has was given to him by God. It is not by chance that Paul prays a prayer and has a burden for those that are lost just before he begins to talk about the sovereignty of God and the salvation of men. And as we look at this, as we understand this, I want us to consider Paul's burden for just a moment. Look at what he says in verse number 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul in his burden for the lost is saying this. That this burden that I have is a true burden. And it is a true burden because it was not something I produced. Paul is not looking at the burden that he has over the kindred of his people and, and doing this haphazardly as he leads into the sovereignty of God in the salvation of men. He's dealing with the fact that he would not have this burden had the sovereignty of God not reached down and saved his soul. You and I would not have a burden. You and I would not and do not have a true burden if we've never been saved by the grace of God. Paul said this is a true burden. He said, I say the truth. What, what did he say? Look at, look at the words that Paul said. In verse number one, he said, I say the truth. Where? In Christ. I say the truth in Christ. This burden would not be in me if it were not for the fact that I were in Christ. You cannot have a burden for the lost and be lost yourself. To have a genuine and true burden for the lost, it must be because you're in Christ. And that being in Christ has to deal with God seeking you. I, I began to think, as a young preacher, I was 17 and a half, 18 years old when God called me to preach. 
October 5th, 1980. I surrendered to that call and began to work in different various areas. I went to uh, nursing homes and preached on the street corner and did different things as far as preaching. But one of the things that interests me is in the middle of all of that, and I'm just going to give you just an excerpt of my life for just a moment. In the middle of all of that, in the middle of doing God's will, I began to doubt my salvation. And when I began to doubt my salvation, I had a pastor that gave me a great piece of advice. I told him, my words to him is, I want to go over to this church where I got saved. I want to, I want to bow down and I want to pray where I prayed. I want to be in the same place. I want to pray at the same place. And he told me this. He said, you do what you need to do. But he said, I'm going to tell you this. It's not going back to the place. It's not thinking about the time. He said, you get somewhere with God and get along with God's Word. And when you get along with God's Word, God will reveal to you the truths of God's Word. Do you know one of the things that God revealed to me in the midst of searching out His Word for the next two or three days with I sat down with God's Word, didn't have anything to, to eat. I, I tried to lay things aside and tried to look into God's Word. And one of the things, Brother Ricky, that He revealed to me was that the faith that I had when I got saved wasn't mine. It was God's. And God began even that day to work a work in me, causing me to understand that it wasn't me that produced salvation. And when he did that, it produced in me a burden to see other people saved. Why? Because I recognized that there was nothing I had in me to produce salvation. And if there's nothing I had in me to produce salvation, there's nothing anyone else has in them to produce salvation. He had a true burden. Not only did he have a true burden, but look at what he says here when he continues in verse number 2. I want you to understand that he had, he had a burden that was a born burden. Bearing, being born, carrying something. He says in verse number 2, that I have great heaviness and continued sorrow in my heart. This was not something he produced in himself. And I, I, I know I keep saying that, but I want you to understand that the, even the burden that Paul's talking about, about the lost, as he's leading into chapter number 9, and the sovereign act of God in the salvation of men, He's talking about God's sovereignty and giving him the burden that he had for the laws. He didn't develop that on his own. He got that because God gave him that. And look at what he says here. He says, even in the latter part of verse number 1, he said, my conscience bearing me witness, what? In the Holy Ghost. 
He said this burden is a true burden. It is a born burden. It is a true burden because it is in Christ. It is a born burden because it's in the Holy Ghost. And it's a burden of heaviness of the heart. He tells us as we look there in verse number 2, it's a great heaviness and a continual sorrow of the heart. Don't misunderstand what he's talking about. Paul didn't... Paul was not going around moping. But he had, he had a genuine burden. And did, what did that genuine burden produce? It produced within him a desire to get people to see the same truth that he saw. And that is that God deals in the salvation of men. And God works in the salvation of men. Paul had a heaviness of heart and a continued sorrow. And that sorrow, like I said, was not a walking around moping, but it was, it was a driving force to get him to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ and about what had happened to him. Not only that, but we see that it is a willingness to be accursed burden the burden that he has for the lost is a it even goes so far as being willing to say I would that I could be accursed for my brethren's sake look at what he says in verse number three for I could wish that myself were accursed what from Christ for my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh Understand the burden that Paul had. And, and, and to be honest with you, this is, this is one of those areas that's hard for me to understand. I don't know that I have what Paul had. He just got through telling us in verse number one that his burden was where? It was in Christ. He said that I I would that I could, or, or how did he say it? For I could wish myself were accursed from Christ. Paul has experienced salvation. He has, been, he has experienced being placed in Christ. And Paul is saying, if I could... I would be taken out of Christ so my brethren could be placed in Christ. There again, Paul understands that can happen. If that did happen, what would that produce? It would produce Paul being the Savior, not Christ. <coughs> Paul knows that can't happen, but he said, if I could... For I could wish myself accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. His, his heart was so willing to see his kindred saved that he was willing as much as he thought to make himself accursed from Christ so that his kindred could be saved. I don't know that 
I have that. And I don't know that any of us have that. That is a true burden for the lost. Paul's talking about here and Paul's dealing with here. Not only did he say that, but it is an understanding of their plight burden. Look at what he says. He says in verse number 4, Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the serving of God and the promise? What is Paul saying about his kindred? Understand where Paul's at. Paul, Paul had, had what, what did he say many times? He said, he said I'm, a, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul was a learned man. And he was learned, he was just like these people that he's mentioning here in this verse. He said, who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption? And the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the sacrifice of God, and the promise. He said, these people have all of this, and yet they're not saved. These were religious people. They were bound up in religion. There's some eight different things that God lists here that they had. They were Israelites who pertaineth to, to the adoption. They, they had the glory. They had the covenants. They had the giving of the law. They had the service of God. They had the promise. They were the fathers of whom was concerning the flesh of Christ. And yet they did not have Christ. If we could get a hold of this, Paul has a burden because he sees that they have all of this. They had the flesh, the Bible tells us, as pertaining to Christ. But they didn't have Christ. Paul said they're blind. They have not seen. And they do not see. That's the kind of burden that Paul has for the lost. As he begins to look at the sovereignty of God as pertaining to the salvation of men. What does that have to do with us? What kind of burden do we have? For the lost. You and I understand the sovereignty of God. We understand those words that I mentioned in the introduction. We understand that they're things that are doctrines you find in the Word of God. But those things ought to produce in us a desire for the lost that they might be saved. That ought to cause us to look at people different on Monday, on Tuesday, 
on Wednesday. That ought to cause us to look at people different as we deal with them on a daily basis. That ought to cause us to look at people different as we deal with them as family members. That ought to cause us to to look at people different because we understand that you and I did not bring anything to salvation. And because we did not bring anything to salvation, they have nothing to bring either. And for that reason, we ought to have a burden for the lost. We could not produce in us anything pertaining to our salvation. Neither can this world. But God saved us. We have received the grace of God. And if we know that, it ought to produce in us a burden to somehow show others that same thing in their life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for what